It's good to be with you for another Sunday. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church in downtown Winona. This week we're backtracking just a bit in our sermon series on worship. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the last movement of worship, being sent forth by God into the world. But this week we're backing up to look at that third movement a little bit more, how we respond to God's Word. And this week we're looking particularly at Holy Communion. Holy Communion is one of the sacraments of the church. The other is baptism. And sacraments are unique ways that we encounter God's grace through material things. In baptism, water. And in communion, bread and juice, according to the commands of Jesus. Baptism initiates us into the church and into the life of faith. If you'd like to hear more about baptism, you can listen to the sermon from October 18th on the sermon tab of our website. But Holy Communion nourishes us spiritually. A quick correction from the sermon this week that might only bother me, but I'd like to correct it anyway, uh, is the order of the fourfold action of communion that Jesus offers to his disciples. I should have said it as take, bless, break, and give. It's a small thing, but it's still important. If you're listening to the sermon this week, we would love to hear from you. In this COVID season, it's been easy to get disconnected from folks, and we'd love to know how you're doing. Send us a note by email, give us a call, or drop us some snail mail to P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. If we can pray for you, we'd love to hear about that too. And we'd appreciate it if you'd be praying for us, the leaders of our church, as we continue to try to live into our vision as a church to share the love of Christ through study, worship, and service as God's children. We're continuing to worship in person at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And as COVID cases rise throughout the state and the country, we'll continue to maintain safe distance and ensure that our space is sanitized between services. We would love to have you join us in person. If you'd like to support our ministries financially, you can mail a check to P.O. Box 467. You can drop it off by the office during the week, or you can give online through our website, morememorialumc.com. Thanks for joining us today, and we pray that you have a blessed week. Let's pray. Eternal Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you thanks and praise that you see fit to hear our prayers and to speak to us in a way that we can understand. We ask that you'd speak to us now, that you'd invite us into the mystery of your presence by the power of your word, and encourage us to embrace the mysteries of our faith. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 32. Matthew 26, 17 through 32. I invite you to hear this word. On the first day of unleavened bread, that is the feast of the Passover, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, surely not I, Lord, And he answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. 
It would have been better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we finish up our worship series this week and next week, we're stepping back a little bit this week. We've, we've talked about sending forth over the last couple of weeks, but we had to skip the sermon that I had prepared on communion. So that is what we're looking at this week. And we're cruising into Thanksgiving in just a week and a half, and nothing seems right. Normally, Thanksgiving is the biggest meal of the year. Literally, Americans eat more food on Thanksgiving than any other day of the year. The second day is the Super Bowl, if you're curious. And most folks celebrate Thanksgiving by gathering together with family or sometimes friends. Around here for years, we've shared a meal together, not only with one another in our families or even as a church, but with our whole community doing our best to make sure that no one goes hungry on Thanksgiving. But coronavirus has thwarted our usual practices. And at Moore Memorial, and maybe for your families too, we're figuring out new ways to live in to Thanksgiving. As large gatherings are highly discouraged by public health officials and COVID-19 cases are surging, we're cruising into the biggest meal of the year, and nothing's right. And that's where Jesus' disciples are in this passage that we read today as well. They're used to having Passover with their families and their homes, mostly in Galilee. It's the biggest meal of the year when they remember God's decisive action to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh and from his slavery. God stopped at nothing to finally compel Pharaoh to let his people go, including sending the angel of death wreaking havoc throughout the land of Egypt, killing all of the firstborn in every family. But the Israelites were kept safe by the blood that they painted over the doorway as they ate in a hurry and packed up, eating ready to leave, no time even to let the bread rise. And every year since then, the Hebrew people have sat down at this time of year and they have remembered this story by sharing a meal by eating a lamb, by sharing in bitter herbs, by drinking wine, by leaving a seat open for the return of Elijah. It's the biggest meal of the year, and nothing is quite as they expect it to be. 
So as the disciples prepare this meal for Jesus to celebrate the power of God to deliver his people from slavery, to keep the promises that he's made to his people throughout the ages, this year it's different. This year they're with Jesus who's telling them that he's going to be delivered up to be crucified. And he's already been anointed for his death in a way that frustrated Judas. And they had to find a stranger to borrow his house and to take over a room in the house to have the meal. They're not in their usual family places to eat. But they sit down for this meal that they look forward to every year. They're following the usual pattern and Jesus breaks with the tradition. He shifts the routine. Instead of simply telling the stories as they usually do at Passover, he tells them, one of you will betray me. And it ruins the mood. And all of them start wondering who it will be, and none of them are bold enough to ask that question, but they're also curious if maybe it's them. Is it, is it I, Lord, who's going to betray you? And there's this powerful and also somewhat ambiguous moment where they all realize that it's Judas. And then after he tells them what's going to happen and they realize that Judas is going to be the one to betray him, he takes some of the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. He takes it and he breaks it and he blesses it and he gives it to them. And this fourfold pattern he's done over and over again throughout the gospel. This is what he did when he was feeding the 5,000. This is the pattern to take and to break, and to bless, and to give. And he says to them, take, eat. This is my body given for you. And then he takes the cup of wine, and he blesses it, and he gives it to them. And he says, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He just said that Judas was going to betray him, and yet he invites all of them, Judas included, to drink from the cup, the cup of the blood of his covenant that he is establishing through his death. As he does this, he uses very weighty language. It's not often that God establishes a covenant with his people. It's happened only a few times in Scripture with Noah, when God covenants never to destroy the face of the earth with a flood again. With Abraham, where he promises Abram a family and a land and a nation, and that his nation will be a blessing to all of the world. With Moses, where God sets the expectations for how the Hebrew people will live in the land that he's giving them after he's carried them out from the land of Egypt. And with David, that there will always be a king of David's lineage ruling over Israel. That David's family will rule over Israel forever. These are the covenants that God has made. And now Jesus says, I'm taking this old celebration of the Passover, and I'm using it to help you understand a new covenant. Abraham and Moses and David, all of them get wrapped up in what Jesus is about to do. Jesus as the anointed Messiah who follows in the line of David. Jesus as the new Moses who gives a new law. Jesus as the fulfillment of the promises made to Abram that 
that his seed would be a blessing to all of the world, all of the nations of the world. Jesus himself is the one who makes the covenant with his body broken, with his blood poured out, a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins, he says. He takes the biggest meal of the year and infuses it with even more meaning. And we call it the Eucharist. That's the Greek word for thanksgiving. This meal that we celebrate not just once a year, but as much as possible, nourishes us spiritually through the self-offering of Jesus. We call it Eucharist, we call it thanksgiving, because the prayer at the center of our communion liturgy starts in words that are written on your heart if you've been Methodist for very long. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So we call this meal that Jesus institutes, carrying it forth out of the biggest meal of the year for Jews, Eucharist. And we also call it communion. We call it communion because in our prayer of great thanksgiving, we ask that the Holy Spirit be poured out not only on the bread and the wine, but even prior to that, that it be poured out on us who are gathered here. And as we pray, we join together not only with the people that are gathered with us physically, but with all of God's people on earth and in heaven as we join there an ending hymn and we say, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. We commune with God. We commune with one another. We commune with all the hosts of heaven and the saints through the ages as we commune in the Eucharist. And we set the elements, the bread and the wine, on the altar table because it is a sacrifice. It's not a new sacrifice, and it's not a repetition of Jesus' sacrifice that happened long ago. It's that we get to participate in this moment in the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross. Time collapses in communion as we commune with Christ who offered his life, as we look forward to the day when Christ will return in final victory, as we look back at all of the ways that God has been faithful through the ages and is incorporating us into that story of faithfulness. At the altar table, we give thanks. It is a meal of thanksgiving. It is a meal of communion. It is a meal of sacrifice. And it's a meal of remembering. Not only remembering... Christ is really present in communion, but we remember by participating in this activity. And we remember not only Jesus' death, but how Jesus' death fits into the whole story of God's redemption of God's people. This is why it's fitting for us to take communion not only in Holy Week, on, on Monday, Thursday, or at Easter as we remember the mystery of Christ's death, but also at Christmas, at the birth of Jesus. Because just as Jesus made God real and imminent to us, he is Emmanuel, God with us. So in communion, we encounter God in his fullness as a grand mystery. 
As we talk about these things, there are funny things happening with space and time. We're united together not just with one another, but with the church throughout the world and throughout the ages. We're united with Christ's sacrifice, which has been completed and will be consummated in the future. We in the present are participating in what happened in the past, and we're getting a foretaste of what is coming in the future when we will join in the victory feast of Jesus at his heavenly banquet. Communion is one of two sacraments that we celebrate in the Methodist Church. The other sacrament, baptism, we've already talked about it, initiates us into the church and incorporates us into God's mighty act of salvation. This is a one-time thing that we experience. But communion... Communion is where we are regularly, consistently situated in space and time with God and his people, knit together with God and all of God's people. As we give thanks, as we are nourished, as we are sustained for the ongoing difficulties of life in this world, and as we look forward to the completion of Christ's victory at the end of all things. And this tremendous grace is available to everyone, to people of every age, to people of every ability, to people of every sinfulness. Just like Jesus included Judas and all of the disciples, right after this, all of the disciples abandon Jesus uh, for fear of their own safety, or they fall asleep because they're weary. All of them fail Jesus in the course of his passion. But he included all of them at the table and wanted all of them to partake. So we prepare to receive communion by confessing our sins, by receiving absolution from God. God offers us his forgiveness. We make peace with one another. We offer our gifts to the Lord. And then we join together in giving thanks. We make it a meal of forgiveness and thanksgiving. And this gift sustains us. It provides for us strength for the journey. It nourishes our souls in such a way that we can carry on through whatever challenges this life brings us. At, uh, at the last rites in the Catholic Church, they, they offer communion as, as what they call viaticum. It is strength for the journey. It's, it's what's going to carry you through the nourishment that you need to make it even through death. But communion functions this way for us not only when we are sick or ill or close to death, but all of the time it nourishes us and strengthens us with what we need for the journey. And the gift doesn't just sustain us, it heals us. It is a balm for our souls, healing the wounds that our sin and the sins of others has brought in so that we can look more and more like Jesus. We become what we eat. We become the body of Christ knit together as the church, and we ourselves look more and more like Jesus who shares his life with us. In communion, Christ is truly present. Whether or not you feel it, it is reliably true. That Jesus is present to us through the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. These things aren't guesses, they're the reality of the sacrament. 
We feast on Jesus. Jesus includes us in his body with all of his people. And Jesus receives what we have to offer, including our thanksgiving. It's not about what we feel. It's about what God does. And it's available, like I said, to anyone of any age or any ability or any history. It's available even if you have not been baptized, though if you have the faith to desire communion, you have the faith to be baptized. If you want to commune with Christ and Christ's people, if you confess your sins, then you are ready to be baptized and should be as soon as possible. We often take communion just once a month. And the question is often raised, how often should we take communion? And the first answer is, as often as possible. The Methodist Church for a long time did not have enough people who were authorized to preside at communion. And so we had circuit riders who rode around literally on horses from church to church, providing communion for the churches as they went. And so that meant that sometimes the church only got communion quarterly because that's how often the elder would make it by. Sometimes it was only monthly. In John Wesley's time, communion was available weekly in the Church of England. They had plenty of priests, and he challenged the early Methodists to receive communion constantly. He preached a whole sermon called The Duty of Constant Communion. He thought it was a shame that communion was regularly available to Christians and they did not avail themselves of it. So we should take communion as often as we possibly can. And we should take communion faithfully in keeping with the teachings of our church, which includes paying attention to the elements. The elements that are appropriate for us to use in communion are bread. Our standards say it should, it should look like bread. It can be leavened bread or unleavened bread, but should be recognizable as bread. A whole loaf is preferable to something that's already been broken up, and it should be ordinary, plain bread. Likewise, the, the juice in the cup should be either juice of the grape or wine. In other parts of the world where grapes are not uh, readily available, there are other fruits that are acceptable. But if you can access grape juice or wine, that's what we ought to use. And when we're done with communion, there are even standards for what we do afterwards. We don't just throw it away or pour it out. The best thing that we can do is to faithfully consume it uh, immediately afterwards, reverently and respectfully. But if we don't do that, then the appropriate thing for us to do is to return it to the earth, to, to spread the bread out, to pour the cup out into the earth as a way of recognizing and memorializing the gift that it has been to the church. Communion isn't just for those who are gathered here, but it becomes missional as well. In the Methodist Church, we try to extend the table to those who are unable to be with us, those who are too sick or otherwise unable to be here for, for reasons preventing them from coming. And so we as a church extend the table. We take communion to them and share it with them so that they too can continue to be participants in the life of the church even though they've been prevented from joining us. Jesus tells the disciples as he finishes the meal that all of them will fall away. Not just Judas who betrayed him, but all of his disciples. And Jesus has told them that he is headed to the cross, and they don't understand what's going on, but he gives them this meal to teach them what it means for him to offer himself, all of himself, 
not just to the disciples, but to the whole world. And so for you and for me, it is deeply good news that there is room for us at Christ's table. And that Christ will meet us at the table and commune with us. That he will sustain us by nourishing our souls. That he will heal us with the grace of his life. That he will make our sacrifice of thanks and praise united with his sacrifice to the praise and glory of the Father. And in doing so, he prepares us to join him at his victory feast when all will be well. When there will not be interruptions to the biggest meal of the year, because the biggest meal, the one that we've been prepared for by constantly communing with God, has finally arrived. That we can feast with God and all of God's people at his heavenly banquet. This is our hope, and this is the reality in which communion lets us participate and towards which it points. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift of communion. We thank you for the ways that it sustains us in difficult times, especially in the difficult time of this season. And we pray, Lord, if we have not been able to commune with you and your people, that you would nourish our souls by the work of your spirit directly, that our desire for your body and your blood would be fulfilled by your grace. We pray especially for those who are worshiping online or uh, by radio or otherwise, that they would know the communion of your church and that they would know the communion of your spirit with them even now. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who who came to reveal you to us and who has offered us a way to commune with you regularly. Amen. We're so glad that you tuned in this week. 
Scripture readings in today's broadcast come from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and are used with permission. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you'd like to give to support it, you can donate to our church by mailing a check to P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. That's P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. You can give online at morememorialumc.com. Your gift will enable us to continue to live into our mission to share the love of Christ through study, worship, and service, through things like this broadcast. If you've got a testimony of what God is doing in your life, if you have prayer needs that you'd like for us to pray for, if you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus, I would love to talk to you anytime. You'll find me in the office most weeks, Monday through Thursday, and I'm continuing to sit on the porch on Monday and Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. and would love to visit with you then, whether that would mean meeting you for the first time or visiting with an old friend. We'll wear our masks, we'll keep our distance, and we should be pretty safe. I'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.